This is the best podcast on the planet. I'm not being biased at all. Thanks for listening, supporting, sharing, and subscribing to the Mindful Farm D podcast. Subscribe today wherever you listen to stay informed. Share with a few friends. Email Dr. Matman Harrell at themindfulfarmd at gmail.com exclamation point. Connect on Instagram at themindfulfarmd. Check out drmattmanharrell.bio.link for everything about the podcast. A thousand thanks and stay mindful. All right, welcome in a thousand thanks everyone for tuning in to the Mindful Farm D podcast. This is the mind behind the microphone, Matt Manharrell, and I look forward to my guest today. He and I met at the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy, uh, and my guest today is Daniel Haddad. He was born and raised in Columbia, South Carolina, to a family native to Lebanon. Daniel attended the University of South Carolina and graduated in 2015. And in 2021, as I mentioned, Daniel graduated from the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy and currently serves as a police officer in the city of Forest Acres. Daniel has worked as a paralegal. He's worked on several political campaigns, which I uh, may ask you about here (laughs) in this episode. And uh, Daniel has also worked in the service industry. He has two reptiles, Comrade the Turtle and Typhon the Bearded Dragon. Daniel has been known to make poorly timed jokes that are almost never funny and spends too much time reading obscure history uh, theses on problems that probably will not ever be relevant to any normal person's working life. Daniel has always believed that if you truly believe something, you should and will be able to say it yourself. And, And this is pretty exciting news. Daniel is engaged to Ariel Lee, his partner for five years, who he can't wait to marry in the coming summer, this summer, 2023. Daniel likes to say, although he doesn't like quotes, there is never a good enough reason to not do the right thing. And if I do have to say so myself, that is spoken like a true police officer. Daniel, man, thank you so much for agreeing to sit down with me. Uh, I hope uh, all is well on your end. Yes, sir. Of course. And uh, I'm honored to be talking with you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm looking forward, looking forward to the uh, to this episode. Did you know that this week was uh, first responders wellness week? Uh, we had a little poster up in the, on the cork board outside of dispatch that, that had something about it. So, yeah, well, you know, it, it couldn't have been timed any better. I, I, I can tell you that I didn't plan this, uh, to be this way, but I mean, I think with some of the stuff we'll talk about today, uh, this week being first responder wellness week is, uh, is actually right on par with some of the topics we'll cover. And so, um, you know, for those who are not aware, uh, first responder wellness week is uh, sponsored by Lexipol and EMS One, and they created this week to raise awareness and promote strong self-care among public safety workers. Um, This whole week is dedicated to providing resources, support, and community uh, to help public safety personnel better understand the mental and physical health risks that come with the job. You know, here on this podcast, we're all about, I'm all about talking about issues and topics that discuss uh, mental health and um, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have uh, Daniel on as a fellow officer um, I, in my episode my opening episode for this season uh, back in I believe it was back in February when I recorded it with my wife 
I talked about and mentioned the fact that I had now become a certified uh, officer for the state of South Carolina. And um, and so my focus here as in my career has kind of shifted a little bit. But um, just by way of a, of a mention, uh, Daniel, do you listen or do you watch sports very often? Oh, yeah. Um, mainly NFL, but certainly NFL. college football. Mostly so, football so you probably know Dak Prescott or know the name, the Dallas Cowboys oh. quarterback? Yep. Mississippi State. Yeah. See, I, I, I don't do sports <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> as, as, as a friend of mine once said, but I, I used to watch sports, man. I used to watch football all the time. But then when I went to college, I just, I just kind of fell off all of the bandwagons. But um, Dak Prescott, uh, you know, is actually in support of this week being first responders week. And it, he created a video. You can go and find it on YouTube. But I just kind of took a little excerpt from that. He said, taking care of yourself mentally and physically is critical to serving, protecting and uplifting our communities. I'm sure that's something you can agree with, right? I'd agree with that. Um, Dak has always been one of those people who's a, a big advocate for things like, cause he has his own, if I remember correctly, um, I don't want to say struggles, but he has his own special circumstances that he goes through and he's been pretty open with that. So I think those two, the marriage of those two issues from his end, it's, I'm not exactly surprised to see him advocating for it because he's been that kind of good influence publicly. Yeah. Yeah, as I understand, he has his own uh, he has his own foundation as well. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but yeah, he has his own foundation that helps support uh, mental health and bring awareness there. So let, let's talk about you. Let's talk about your origin story. Now, I know I read your bio, but how did you become interested in police work? So I like you say origin story. It, it makes it sound like a like like a Marvel character. Well, listen, but... they uh, look. <laughs> You know me, I love I love comic books and you know, uh I think every superhero has a has a very interesting um or or awesome origin story and you know, as police officers, man, we're superheroes. So yeah, your origin story. Let's talk about it. How did you how did you become interested? Um well, it whenever people ask this question, I always always say, well, it's the cheesy reasons, right? Um because they they kind of are in some ways, but it's it, when you were going through the bio and you said the, the one thing that I gave you when you asked me for a quote, which was, uh, there's never a good enough reason to not do the right thing. It, it all sort of ties into that. I was always in, in the family that I was raised in. It was very important to observe your responsibilities, your, your duty to your family and to your community and to those around you. And if somebody helped you along, which inevitably someone will in life, it's important to you to either to honor that or to make it up to them. So growing up, I always felt that I did have some sort of duty to give back to the, the community at large and to the people personally who've helped me along. And policing ended up being the, the best way for me to do that in a very direct way. So sorry, I got to pop up here. So it was, uh, I don't know if that came over the mic or not. It did. You're fine. <laughs> um, yeah, where was I? So that was that was always my reasoning with getting into it, giving back, make trying to influence things in a very direct way towards the greater good. Because as a police officer, like you, you most of the things that you do are person-to-person interaction, so they're very small scale, generally speaking. But if you can even make the smallest difference for the right reasons, 
then it makes it the whole interaction worth it, in my opinion. And you never know how that's going to cascade later on. That person that you help might end up doing something great, or they might just be an everyday regular person who spreads that sentiment themselves. And granted, we don't always get the the best options. Sometimes, you know, our job is, is to enforce the law, not necessarily always what we think is the moral good. But the times that you do get to do that, those are the times that, that make all the others uh, worth it. And this is the most direct way that you have that, to actually help somebody. So I mean, if you think about it, there's there's not many jobs where you get the direct, I keep using the word direct, where you get the direct responsibility to actually intervene in a, in a scenario to try to help somebody. There's there's very few jobs where, where you get to be the decision maker to try to do that. And it's not the personal uh, power that comes with it that's alluring. It's the fact that somebody gets to help somebody else. And if you know that you're going to be the person who's motivated to do that, this is the job where you can make that difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you you uh, you bring up a very good point because uh, I can I can tell you that there are folks on on the team that I work on right now who have been doing uh, this job in, in law enforcement for a number of years and on a number of occasions have told me how they've run into people they've actually arrested. And now when you now the first thing you think when you hear that is, well, what what, what was the interaction like? You know, was it bitter? Was it sweet? You know, kind of thing. And and time and time again, they share stories of how, you know, they see somebody that they've arrested in the local store, uh, the, the grocery store, and the person comes up to them and says, you know, you arresting me was the best thing that ever happened to me. And as strange as that sounds, it's, a, it, you know, you bring, again, you bring up a, a good point about how when we make decisions to, um, you know, to make an arrest, in some instances, yeah, you are changing that, you are changing that person's life. And oftentimes for the better. And I know that's a controversial way of thinking of it because there are there are various opinions about our policing system right now. Right. Uh, various opinions on both sides of the aisle on or or on all the sides of the aisle, however many aisles there are about, uh, you know, people feel a certain type of way about police work. But at the end of the day, you know, if we didn't have police work, um, who would be responsible for enforcing the laws? Would we be a, you know, just a lawless, lawless society, a, uh, every man, a law unto himself? Um, you know, I think, I think history, um, would probably say that that type of society does not last very long, you know, and something else too, about what you said, we are a product, you know, we are products of our own community. Were you, were you that kid that was excited to see the police officers when, when you walk down the street and be honest, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, what's kind of funny is, so the family that I grew up in, and actually before I answer this question, I just want to just real quick before I forget, yeah. I really like how you said all the aisles, however many aisles there are. And yeah. this is, I don't want to stray too far from the topic, but I think yeah. that this, not just politically relevant, but in a societal sort of way, we uh, a lot of times think in, in black and white in terms of a very positive and negative um, version of thinking where there are only two sides to an issue. And uh, the, I think the thing that I think is important is, that you yourself, if it doesn't make sense to you, you don't have to, to pick one of those two sides. If it, if, if your method of thinking about something doesn't line up with either of those, I mean, that's, that's just the way that it is. Like you don't, you shouldn't feel obligated to pick either side. So there are multiple, I don't even like the word sides. There are multiple ways to view an issue and you can, and, and a lot of times two oppositional points, it doesn't necessarily mean that either of them is necessarily wrong. Uh, they both could have something that's rooted in the right. They're just there's a different perspective about what you what you pick. Now that doesn't mean that the way forward 
is necessarily going to be the same and satisfactory for both of those, but that doesn't mean that people can't come from two very opposite angles of an issue and, and both begin at some sort of point that's that's not necessarily wrong. Like you can, both people can have a point basically. Absolutely. You know, I, I've had conversations with people again, and I know you said we don't want to, we don't want to divert too much, but mm-hmm. I have to respond too. you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and I've had, I've had conversations with people where I've told them, look, you know, rather Republican or Democrat, both sides of the aisle, those two, because those are the prevailing political parties in the United States of America um, or the most prevalent ones. They both have things about them that are right. Right. No one side is no one side is, is all right and no one side is all wrong. But where we find ourselves often in this country is 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 divided, especially here. I would say in the last decade or so, um, we found ourselves in a really um, divisive uh, political political um, uh, environment. But but yeah. But were you were you that kid that that was happy to see? Um, so. Officers? So uh, I grew up in, as you mentioned in the bio, my, my family, it was really my mom and my grandmother and grandfather, her parents were a couple blocks away. So that's who I grew up with. And we didn't, it was weird because we grew up in the South, but we also were in a Lebanese house. So the, and, and our house was not political at all. We didn't really have much reaction to police specifically, I, I wouldn't say. Luckily, we uh, we didn't we didn't uh, have to see them all too much. I had my own issues when I was a kid, and there were a couple of times where you know we had to interact with them. But I can't recall any any sort of in, like necessarily positive or negative reaction to to the police. I think I was pretty even keel to them. Um, they were just kind of there doing their job, and like they got to do some cool things, and they had guns. But I, I didn't really I didn't become focused on. Uh, the police as a career until probably about when I was in college. I see. Okay. Yeah. And I think my, um, my historical experience is a little bit different because I, um, you know, my mom has always, you know, like your, your, uh, your family, your, my mom has always taught me to respect law enforcement. Um, but my wife and I here in the last, you know, few years or so with everything happening, regarding police. And this is before I decided to, um, leave the traditional route of pharmacy. You know, I'm still, still doctorate of pharmacy, still licensed in the, in the field and I'm required to be uh, with my job. But, um, before I even made that decision to become a police officer, to become and, and do the job that I'm doing now, my wife and I, we would, whenever we saw a police officer in the, uh, in the streets, you know, if we were walking out of the gas station or the grocery store, whatever, my wife especially would make the the make it a point to point to to uh, show my boy say hey you know this is officer whoever and I can't I've never had a bad experience with an officer you know giving us like a bad a bad look or you know a nasty stare down you know like get away from me kid you know you know I've I've never and we we must have done it you know over a hundred times and just and and what we're trying to do with our boys you know obviously I'm a black guy right I'm African-American and with our boys in this in this current climate, um, there are opposite ideas or different ideas about the way uh, blacks should interact with police officers. And, and you know, that old adage, uh, one apple can spoil the bunch, you know, so to speak. 
yeah, we've got some some people out there doing some bad things, but the vast majority of police officers are not out there. They are out there to protect you. They're not there trying to hurt you. And we wanted our boys, my wife and I found it important as African-Americans to instill that in our boys intentionally to say you can trust, you can trust law enforcement. You can trust um, that these people are here to protect you. Do what you need to do to protect yourself, but you can also trust that they can, that they are here to protect you. Yeah, and that's a and that's a two side. I mean, it's it's a bargain between the police and the community. The police doesn't work without the consent of the community. So those people who go out and when they interact with someone, whether it's a suspect or whether it's a victim or a witness or whomever, when they interact with those people in a way that is negative, beyond the scope of doing their job, because as we know, doing your job, there's, you're going to hurt some feelings, uh, even if you're do, if you're doing it the right way. But those kind of officers who interact with the community in a negative way only hurt themselves and everybody else because it's a, it's, a, it's up to us to uphold that bargain, to be worthy of that trust. And, you know, there's a lot of times when, when we get out with people, whether they're white or black or whomever or Asian, Hispanic, no, no matter what your ethnicity is, who have a distrust of the police because there's a lot of people who do from a lot of different backgrounds. It's, it's up to us to try to interact with them in a respectful way, even if we have to coerce them into doing something, if we have to arrest them if we have to investigate them for something it, it, it's, it's the onus is still on us to be professional and to be respectful because, you know, you don't know how many times, I mean, well, I'm sure you do actually you know how many times you get out with somebody or I've gotten out with somebody who had an obvious distrust of the police, an obvious dislike of the police. And by the end of it, they were saying, you know, I, I really appreciate that, that you're being respectful, you know, like uh, other cops I've dealt with haven't been like that with me. Yeah. They say things like, oh, they are actually pretty nice. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, again, we're not here to we're just agents of the law, you know, and the law protects us all or, you know, at least it should. And, and that's what it aims to do. And so, yeah, let, let's talk I mean, about life. What'd you say? Oh, I'm sorry. I said it's a two way street. It's, yeah, you know, so, so people people who keep an eye on us, as you know, it can get frustrating at times. Some of the things that they say, you know, especially people who, who don't know, who've never done the job, it can get frustrating. But at the same time there's, there's a part of me that's kind of, I wouldn't say glad, but is appreciative that there are people who, who are watching us and paying attention to us. I think the people who actually their heart is in the right place and they actually want to make things better. I think that they can appreciate the good things that we do. The more that they watch us, the more they see. Now there are people who don't care about any of that, but there are a lot of people who, who do. Um, and they actually do want to make an impact from uh, from a community from their end, not, you know, not starting on our end, but starting on the opposite end. And I think that those people who are genuine about it see what we do and respect the good in what we do, even if they, they have different ideas about what they, how they want us to go about doing our, our job. And I can appreciate that. I can respect that. Absolutely. Well, so we, um, you and I graduated from the Academy. Uh, we were in the same class, class of 2022 and uh, class 750, right, baby? Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at this uh, this uh, South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy basic law enforcement class schedule. You know that that uh, packet they gave us to tell us where to go each day. I still have that. And um, to be honest with you, I actually saved it for this very conversation. <laughs> well, see, if I knew you had that, I'd go get mine. I mean, uh, <laughs> I think that thing is causing my house to sag. It's in the back corner of the back room, and I'm pretty sure if I went to go look at it, that foundation is getting lower because of how many sheets <laughs> of paper yeah. are stuck in that daggone closet back there. <laughs> I've had mine in my backpack for this long, so Ooh. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, Atlas. That's right. That's right. Well, after this conversation, I plan on um, getting rid of it because I, like I said, I only held it for this conversation because what I wanted to do was just kind of go week by week and we don't have to spend too much time on each week, but just, you know, mm-hmm. week by week, um, how, and, and I thought that, you, you know, both of us might need it to be reminded because it was, you know, all those years ago, right? It was just last year, but um, just go week by week. Yeah. And, and just kind of respond to how we felt that week. So week one, and by the way, everybody, this is a, this is an eight week course, um, eight week uh, uh, coursework where we are actually on site at the Criminal Justice Academy and we leave every Friday to go home, but then we come back and we, uh, we report on uh, on Sunday evenings. And so um, this was going on for eight weeks away from our families. Uh, you know, some of us thought it was a vacation <laughs> from your family. I don't know how. How, how did you feel, Daniel? Did you feel oh, glad I, to you be? You know, <laughs> I mean, let's. I think we both knew what the grounds were like, so I'm not sure how that could constitute a you know a vacation <laughs> for anybody. But you know, that was. I mean, we're maybe also, the, maybe not the location, we, but just the idea of being away from family was was appealing. Well, during it was also the height of of the COVID yeah um, scare too, so they yeah. had all the extra restrictions and excuses in my opinion for some of the things that oh we're not doing this because of covid and you're like this isn't related at all to covid like right what? right the, i don't understand why this doesn't have anything to do with with covid i think you're just using it as an excuse <laughs> but they they also for that reason had us do that first initial four-week block you know mm. off-site right so it yep. would uh, i mean technically i guess it's a 12-week program but uh technically I yeah guess, but eight eight weeks on site yeah 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 the one advantage of COVID, if any, was that we got to do the four weeks offsite. Right. So. Yeah. 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 Because it used to be, if I remember correctly, it used to be twelve weeks on site. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, historically, so I think some of the people that I work with now um, uh, went through a twelve week program, and they have. I mean, they they probably have some more interesting stories than than we will, because <laughs> this was in the. Well, I'll be nice. Let me let me move on. Let me move yeah. on. So so <laughs> I we don't know how much we can say. Yeah. 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 I'm not embarrassing a couple of people. I don't know right. if it's the right thing to do. Exactly, exactly. So, all right. So, week one. Week one, um, this is the big week for defensive tactics, okay, if you remember. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Were you were you pretty a pretty physical guy before you arrived at the academy? Uh, you know, I think – so, so I, I used to wrestle. That was my background there. So it was kind of cool when we came in and, and we're doing some of the – because they taught us, like, some very, very basic jujitsu, extremely right. basic. Right. And we had a couple of uh, of uh, moves that we also – that wrestlers also use there. Like, we would basically – they would call it our uh, our high guard. That was basically collar tie. Mm. So um, I had – So you, you had some experience. That. Yeah. But see, but, see, the bad thing is it was my experience was as a wrestler, right? Uh. And the point of wrestling is, is to pin your opponent. Right. But we're learning how to fight. So it's like with wrestlers, it's like you get them down in the back. It's like, all right, I got him pinned. All right, well, now yeah. what do I do? Yeah. Well, so let's, let's, frame, let's, like, let's frame this a little bit better because I don't want people to walk away from this going, oh, they're teaching people how to fight at the academy, right? <laughs> what they're no, teaching I mean, us is – no, no, I hear you. I hear you. I get you. And <laughs> trust me, I understand, right? But, again, you have people who, would, who can take our words and mince them. What they're, yeah. what they're teaching us is, is a, a proper use of force, right? And mm-hmm. what that means is, first of all, is de-escalation, how, how not to, don't even allow it to get there, right? Hopefully. But if it does, if, if in the event you do find yourself in a situation where you have to, one, defend yourself or two, get control of, of your target, 
then how do you go about doing that without hurting yourself and without hurting um, somebody fatally, right? Fatally uh, well, hurting somebody. Well, you remember the, the number one line that they like to use. Your, your best weapon is your mouth. You remember right, that? Right, right. Yes. So, yes. So many people would say that. I mean, it's true. And before you even get into the to the gym, you're going over your, your use of force levels, um, what's acceptable, and then what specifically, like what, what specific physical actions constitute what level of force, right? So uh, when you start with like the non-force levels, like, you know, the number one being your presence in the mm -hmm. uniform, and mm -hmm. then number two mm -hmm. is your, your verbal de-escalation. And then, but when you start to get to the physical stuff, you basically have three levels, right? You have the soft, empty hand control, and then you have, or then you have the closed hand, and then you have um, your your lethal, right. but when you get to the then they have different examples so like your soft hand or things like pushing you know things like that like you're not striking anybody, yeah. and then after that you, you're moving into your strikes, your kicks, those sorts of things. So they they break it up by the amount of damage that you can cause with each of these tactics, and they tell you okay before you move on to this level, this is what needs to happen. Like you, it's not like you can just show up on scene and start you know roundhouse kicking people into submission. Right, exactly. Yeah, so. you do that to be impressive, but I don't think that I don't think that that's a that's a good that way to lose your badge yeah. and spend some time in jail. So <laughs> yeah, a very long time in jail. for assault. So but, yeah, and you probably won't end up getting what you need anyway. Exactly. Exactly. But um, they they'll go through specifically what you're allowed to do in response to different levels of resistance that you encounter. Mm -hmm. And resistance isn't always physical. So if someone is not being physical, obviously, if they're just sitting there and being passive and just ignoring you. You, you can't, I mean, this, this sounds like common sense stuff, but mm. when you're on scene, it needs to be automatic. You need to, you can't spend a second going, all right, what's appropriate. You just need to know. And so that's what they drill into you when, um, when you encounter somebody who's being passively resistant, like maybe they just don't like the police. Maybe they don't trust you. Uh, or maybe they've had some kind of episode or maybe they are the bad guy. You don't know if they're doing for whatever reason, not cooperating with you verbally. It's not like you can just put your hand on them and then just grab them and take them with you. You know, right. they, they teach yeah. you your, the restraint more than uh, the actual moves. There's more of an emphasis on that. And then when we get to the moves uh, that you do, the physical stuff, then those are the DTs. But there, yeah. it's never the two are never separate. Right. And, you know, you, you said something very, very important there. You said a lot of times when we show up on scene, the decisions we make have to be automatic. Right. Mm -hmm. And most people in their jobs don't have the same experience. You have time to think, you have time to mm -hmm. process, not police officers. When you're there, you got to respond, right? You don't have time to say, well, okay, well, if I do this, then this is going to like, right. All of these things happen so quickly, which is why it's so important that we just going back to the, the whole point of this week being first responder wellness week, we have to have the right mind when we show up to a mm -hmm. scene so that we can make those automatic decisions, you know, uh, again, for our protection and also for the protection of the people physically and the protection of their rights, all of that, all of that stuff matters. And so, so how, but how is life for you week one, just real quick, how was life for you week one, if you remember? So, so getting used to the week one is a mix of, of the actual curriculum and then getting used to the, the scheduling of the academy and then your class too, right? So you feel pretty unfamiliar uh, unless, because you know, like like yourself, I was the only one who came from my department. Uh, it wasn't, you know, we had 17 people from Richland County who had been going through their program for a while, so they had some familiarity. Right. But I didn't know anybody there. I didn't know anything about the academy itself. The only things that I knew were just what 
other people at the department had told me and what I had done before I came over and then that four week online block. Hmm. So it's just, it's, it's mostly this unfamiliar sort of feeling. And you're, I think for a lot of people, they're trying to figure out whether or not they want to continue on this course. Cause I don't know if you remember, we had one, uh, we had one girl who was there yeah. for a day yeah. from PPP. And then yeah. the very next day she was gone. We lost her. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, if, and I guess to our credit as a class, we didn't lose very many people. Right. Um, after that, I think the only people we lost were people who had already been recycled out of other classes. I don't think that we lost anybody from our class. We had a couple people that got recycled into classes after us, but I think they all graduated, uh, the, the two or three that did that. Yeah. All right. So, so we had to, a lot of people are figuring out, um, and, and, and this is one thing that they do when you get there too. They're like, everyone, you have to make sure that this is what you want to do because you know, you might end up, they'll try to scare you with some of the harsh things that you have to do or have to encounter, you know? Yeah. They'll do something like that because they want to make sure that everybody who's there wants to be there. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I think that's an important aspect of training because sometimes what you learn and what we learned in, um, I truly believe that a lot of what we learned at the Academy, um, a lot of it will, will and can one day save our lives or save the lives of somebody else. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. and because, um, what's that old adage, you know, play how you, let me, let me see if I can get it right. Play practice how you, how play. yeah, there you go. Practice how you play. And, and yeah, basically <laughs> I'm taking diving yeah, courses, not bad by the for way. a guy who don't watch sports, right? <laughs> there you go. I think, I think you did pretty well. That was Thank good. you. I appreciate that. There's a, there's a similar, uh, uh, idea. I don't know if you know this, but I'm taking diving courses, uh, right now with some guys, uh, oh, cool. uh police officer friends of mine. Um, and they uh one of the things that the diving curriculum tells you is to plan your dive and dive your plan right it's the, it's the mm -hmm. same thing it's all about that um that training aspect it's all about being prepared um to go out there and 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 respond and do what we need to do so so that's week one week one was all about defensive tactics week two as well was about defensive tactics too mm -hmm. we moved a lot into uh more of the ground defense which is your world right with wrestling but obviously mm -hmm. they teach you too as a police officer, you do not want to be on the ground. That is not a good place to be, but they do tell you um, uh, how to overcome that situation. If you do happen to find yourself on the ground, any, any uh, words you want to say there about week two? There's a, there's an added, uh, I guess, difficulty when you're on the ground, uh, when you're in gear, I mean, not just the weight of the gear itself, but you have to concern yourself over your weapon. Yes. So you're not just, uh, you don't have just the freedom to just, fight how you would fight you also have to protect your weapon like you can't and these are things that that they want to make automatic to you as well your positioning you don't want to have your gun closer to your adversary if possible you're going to want to try to move it out of the way to where they have to work to try to get to it mm -hmm. because that's and it's a good way to well, we have these level three retention holsters and things like that but you can definitely still lose a weapon pretty easily so you're not just focused on your on getting control of your target you're also can focused on not allowing them to get that deadly weapon because it's not just defend you if for some unfortunate reason if they were to, to get that from you and then now they're armed and they can use that on other people it's right. it's it's a responsibility to the community as well as uh, your own safety absolutely so it's, it's it's an added level of um of difficulty and this to go back to your point about the dive um like we were saying before you want your actions to be kind of automatic that doesn't mean you don't think about scenarios, but you do all that thinking before you go in because you mm. never know when something's going to show up. Mm -hmm. So it's like in your quote unquote spare time, that's what you're doing. You're right. thinking about, and it's not just fighting, of course, right, definitely absolutely. not just fighting. It's, right. it's uh, everything about 
responding to an incident where you for everything from where you park your car to how you address people when the people would say a specific sentence how am i going to take that if they react to my response in a certain way am i going to am i going to take it one direction or another direction i know i'm speaking very broadly here but it's, yeah. it's no i mean of... that's that's so good because listen that these tactics these things that we learned there if i could sum up and we're going to keep moving through it but if i can sum up mm -hmm. too they do teach you how to think right because i even even mm -hmm. out of uniform i know i'm normally um playing clothes but i mean I, we do mm -hmm. have you know polos and that kind of thing but even out of uniform off duty i'm still thinking about how i might respond if something were to happen like mm -hmm. it's i can't turn it off i don't know about you but for no, me no, no. right Absolutely i can't not. i can't turn it off and so like I mean, even when I'm in my personal vehicle and I pull up at the grocery store, I'm thinking about the most strategic place to park, right? Uh, Dude, the... I, I was about to say the grocery store myself. That was my example. Yeah. You know, if you you always, you don't hold your basket in your gun hand, right? Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you're not armed. Right, and you're not even armed, right? <laughs> right. You should be armed, of course, but yeah. like you, yeah. sometimes, you know, you're, you're not. Uh, you never take the seat with your back turned to the, and it, Oh, and it gets on my nerves if we're if we're meeting somebody at a restaurant or something like that, mm -hmm. and they've got the worst seat. It's in the middle of the restaurant. There's people coming and going, and I've got to sit with my back to the door. I will ask. I've asked people to move. My, you know, my wife. She doesn't <laughs> even. Do my wife now. She just. I have this look apparently on my face, and so she she she'll ask me a question like, "Do, do you want to move? Is the seat okay?" And right, yeah. I just take that that um opportunity to be like no let's move let's sit over here right because again mm -hmm. i can't i can't turn it off and it's not about it's just, again it's just about being prepared and that's what they drill yeah. into you right because again when we show up we have to be ready to make a decision mm -hmm. we don't have time to deliberate um a lot of times um so yeah and yeah go ahead yeah, and, and the people people coming uh especially if you're in a crowded place like i never like crowded places to begin with right. but people walking behind you uh all that sort of stuff and it's not about the personal danger to you as much as it is like if a situation happens i'm expected not only save myself but all these people around like what am i going to do to try to help all these people out you know around me mm -hmm. it, it's it's about the entirety of the situation and you i don't want to say you have to train your family members but they that is basically what you're doing. It's not, it doesn't sound good, but you let them know, Hey, if uh, something were to happen, this is what I need you to do. You know, call the, the local police, give them what I look like, my description. You train them in, in getting descriptions of other people. Right. Yep. And uh, if, if some, you know, if something unfortunately were to happen at your home, you know, how to use any weapons that are in the home and who to call and like escape plans and things like that. So it, it that's the part of the police officer that's, kind of unfair and that's i don't want to say the toll but the effect that it has on your family and people that you live with mm. because it's not just you doing the job it's it, it's a team involvement sort of thing absolutely and we'll we'll probably talk a little bit about that here um in just a minute about again taking care of yourself as a police officer because when you take care of yourself um mm -hmm. you can also do a better job of taking care of your family as a police officer so week three so we're up to week three at the south carolina criminal justice academy Legals. Week three and four, yes, legals. Look, you already know, right? We talk <laughs> about civil liability. We talk about proper arrests. We talk about um, searching and seizing, the Fourth Amendment rights, all these different things. Um, what are your thoughts on that week, and how's life for you week three at the Academy? I think one of the things that we have to consider is that not everybody who 
these days, most departments require a university level education, right? Mm -hmm. But not all of them. And even the ones that do, there's certain people who are much more, who don't like the book work. Mm. And I'm not saying I like the book work, but I'm used to it. So legals for me was, was not as bad as for some of the, cause, cause you hear a lot of doom and gloom over legals. That's the week that everyone's worried about right. or the two weeks everyone's worried about. <laughs> well, I mean, they do, they do tell us that we learned the same amount of material in about in two weeks, of, right? That yeah. lawyers take about three months to learn. So it's a yeah. lot, but anyway, go ahead. There is, yeah. And that's, and that's an added challenge of it. Of course, mm -hmm. our application is different. It's, much more practical than, mm. than debatable. Right, exactly. Um, but that's at once the most important week and the most like aggravating week all at the same time in some ways. Right. You know? Yeah. But those are things you gotta remember. Yeah. You know, when when can I search? When can I not search? When can I pull out of the, someone out of the car if I need to? When can't I? Uh, how do how, what rights do people have in different situations? Uh, when do they lose those rights? And that's the most important part of it. Because you don't want somebody violating someone's fourth amendment or other amendment rights when they're out on the street with them they need to like we were saying before it needs to be automatic you need to know what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do so what from that week do you think was was uh what's one thing that might have stood out to you in terms of what we learned mm -hmm. legally uh in that week <laughs> well uh hmm I tell you one for me. I've got a smile on yeah, my go face ahead. because I'm thinking. <laughs> I don't know if you remember the the when we learned about hearsay. Oh god! <laughs> oh, man. oh they, the consternation! Really that. Oh my god! I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to call anybody out specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't. The example that was attempted to to have been used that lasted, I think, two or three days. Yes. The explanation of this example. <laughs> oh my god. I was like, y'all, just read it in the book. The book had a better example. If you read it, than listening to the instruction. I have no idea why she chose to explain it that way. Right, right, right. Me uh, either. Everyone is confused, and I'm looking, I'm like, look, here, this is all it is. That um, that definitely stood out to me, and uh, it was one thing that I, um, you know, even today, it's go I'm going, did it really need to be that complicated, right? You know? <laughs> oh, no, it did not. I'll save you the trouble. You got another. You got enough things on your mind than to have this occupy some brain cells. It did not have to be that complicated. I promise. You. Oh man, here's the hearsay. All right, so that's week three. That's week four. Anything else stood out to you? Week four. Uh, Let's yeah, see. Week four, we the, did. We did more like crimes in progress. We did um, elements of crimes. Elements of the yeah. crimes. Um, I think that was a, a big one. Yeah. And I think that one, so now we're moving away from what you're allowed to do to how to make a charge. Yes. So mm -hmm. this is, this is the more lawyerly aspect of it because yeah. not everybody obviously has a solicitor that can handle things. Like I prosecute most of my own cases. Yeah. And I think a lot of places are similar that way. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, if it's a GSC. Uh, we're not going, I'm, I'm not going to be doing that. General sessions. That is right. I'm not going to be doing that. Right. But uh, all the magistrate level stuff, at the very minimum, I'm going to a preliminary, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. which is the same for, for most officers when they do arrests. So this is where you're learning how to do your elements, uh, what what you have to satisfy in order to make a charge, what charges are appropriate for different situations, or if there's no charges at all. Because that's the, actually, as you get into it, you get eager and you want to make every charge in the book. And then you have to realize there's times where you got to step back. You don't have enough for that charge. Absolutely. That charge isn't appropriate. Right. And and and, uh, and 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 um, what you're speaking of in terms of have enough for you're talking about the probable cause you don't have the 
You have mm-hmm. not established a proper probable cause in order to make that mm-hmm. specific charge based on the elements that are associated with that charge that the law says. And that's, yeah. 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 And that's, and that's part of respecting people's rights as well, because you, by this point, when you're considering these factors, you've probably already identified a, a suspect. I don't like to use the bad guy. You're right. right but you, right. because it's not always a bad, good, bad sort of thing. Right. You've already identified someone that you want to charge at this point. We're, we're beyond the, uh, the who's guilty quote unquote that aspect of of investigation now we're in the what charges are we going to try to apply to this person and how do we prove it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know one other thing too at the end of that week week four which i thought was just given my perspective about life in general um in terms of the mind and what this you know and even what this podcast is all about was at the end of that week we did crisis communication. Do you remember? Do you remember crisis communication, man? Scotty, Scotty, yes. And uh, when I tell that was, you, uh, that was great. it was it really was great. And I actually after after um, sitting down with him or after the course, the the, uh, the class, I asked him for his card because I'd like to actually have him on this podcast to talk about a lot of the things that. Oh, he, you know, Scotty can talk. Oh yes, absolutely. And and uh, <laughs> such such a wealth of knowledge. I mean, he's been teaching this stuff for decades, but such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to how to properly communicate with somebody as a police officer, um, when somebody, you know, suspect, when victim, whatever is in is in the midst of a crisis. Like, how do you how do you show up on the scene? You know, how do you have that that proper mental armor um, to be able to help them through the crisis? Right. Because you you can't show up in crisis if you're going to help somebody else out of crisis. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Your your uh, your observations of how they react to the, even the, the littlest things that you say to your demeanor, and then your actual actions that you can take to try to gain some trust. For instance, uh, you I, I think you remember the scenario with the uh, the person wielding the knife, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the things that was repeated over and over again was "drop your gun," and mm. I think a lot of people, when they're faced with a request like that, they're like, "Should I do it to try to make them feel better?" Well, as a police officer, you don't really have that option because you, you can't drop right. your, your weapon while, while they're armed. You can't do that. Right. So you have to find a way to, to work with them and gain their trust. So you could say something like, well, I'll tell you what, if if you put down that knife, you put it down over there, then I can I can lower my gun. Right. Does that work? Can we do that? You know, so you but you don't you don't want to make it too conciliatory. You want to give them the option to say no. All these little things. Yeah that you say it's a delicate balance man it it, it extremely delicate yeah extremely delicate balance because you don't you, you're walking you, a tightrope re- so. very tight because you've got to maintain control but you've also got to compromise right and those yeah. things sometimes are at odds with each other uh, not compromising this in the sense that you you put yourself or that person in further harm like you said mm-hmm. you can't put your weapon down that's not a compromise we can make that or you can't um uh, put your weapon on the floor and not be in control of your yeah. weapon that's not a compromise we can make but maybe some other ways. And so it does take a lot of, again, mental armor, thinking through a situation pretty quickly, I might add, but thinking through a situation to help get the result that is needed for you and for that individual, for that suspect and for that individual, uh, that victim, you know, what's needed. So, uh, yeah, because, because the one thing that you don't have the luxury of is losing control of the situation, Correct. Yep. Uh, which is something that I think most people, if you're just talking to someone on the street, who's got something going on with them, uh, you can, you don't the, the the responsibility to maintain control isn't really there. So there's certain things you can do or things that you can't do. And if that person acts out and they gain control of that situation, then all of a sudden you're you're kind of screwed. We can't 
we can't allow that in, in our field because if that other person gets control and they turn out to either have bad intentions or they're in crisis and cannot make good decisions, then other people can suffer as well as themselves. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of times that people don't think that you're helping them when you're on scene. And then afterwards they're able to recover somewhat or uh, get back to how they are. And, and it's a better situation for that, for you maintaining that control. Right. But at the same time, you can't cross that line and in an effort to maintain control, actually hurt somebody or hurt the situation. Cause there's, it's easy to do that too. There's not a script. Right. There you go. There's not a script, man. Uh, man, you hit the nail on the head. So week, week five, moving on to week five. You remember week five, this is DUI and SFSTs, mm-hmm. um, SFSTs. standard field sobriety tests. And the geeky nerd guy in me was all on deck, you know, towards the end of the week. <laughs> we were actually able uh-huh. to go in and do the tests. The and, DMT machine. Yeah, the DMT yeah. machine. Yeah. I was on board for that. Yes, a lot of the other stuff. Not so much on board, but then again, too, in my job with the with the focus that we have with my agency, you know, I don't ever think I'll do a DUI or an SFST. I could, but mm-hmm. it's not on my focus. So how did you, what did you think of that week? And, and, and have you had to employ, I'm sure you have, had to employ any of those uh, skills? It's actually kind of funny. Yesterday I went to a DUI luncheon um, that, I forget the, uh, I forget the, agency. It's a law enforcement network agency where they uh, send stuff out to all of the different various agencies throughout the state. And you get together for this big luncheon and they celebrate people who've either had a lot of DUI arrests or have uh, done some sort of community action programs in order to like strike it like underage drinking and those sorts of things. It's like mad, you know, like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Mm. They're partnered with these people. It's like what, what their objectives are. This is a luncheon that's supposed to address those and celebrate it. So it's funny. I went there and their uh, top award winner, I guess, for the most DUI arrests came out of Charleston. Mm. The guy had 110 DUI arrests. Wow. Wow. Which is a freaking, that's 110 arrests at all. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, I think right. that's, I mean, you got to sleep, right? Right, yeah. So, and that's, and, and we were looking around, we're like, did they say 110, like, total or 110 in the year? And the guy was like, oh, 110 in the year. So I really hope I didn't mishear that, because everyone at the table was, like, checking around. I looked over at, at the, the chief who was who went there with me, and I was like, can you imagine what city council would say if you went up to him and said, we arrested 110 people for DUIs? <laughs> You'd be like, what the hell would happen to our stats? You yeah. said that they went down 40%. What the heck is this? <laughs> Because that's the thing that people don't realize, like you know, when you look at the, like crime stats, right. like oh, a murder uh, uh, arrests for assault have gone up. Well, it's like the on one hand, that's good, but on the other hand, it's not. Like, yeah, they're like, oh, <laughs> look how many more assaults we've had, and then the other hand of it is actually, actually, these are just people who've been arrested for assault. Right. So, is that does that mean that we're paying more attention that we're actually getting them, or does that mean that there are more? <laughs> right. Oh, us as a police officer, we're like we like to throw that in there though. Sometimes when people uh, when people ask us what we're doing with our time, yeah, <laughs> and then we've we got to like plead the fifth and try to like slink away without answering the question. That's <laughs> that's the tactic. Right Nothing there. to see here. Nothing to see here. All right, week uh, six, okay. week six, yeah. man. Week I've six. I've had to use it several times. I'll say that. I hear you. I hear you. Week six was probably the most fun, right? Because this is the week where we uh, test our firearms proficiency, and we also do our driving. Um, now in the rain, what I add in the rain. Yes. Yes. That's a good thing to add. Now I say that it was fun, but let me, let me take a 
bit of a step back because that's a, that's not the the best way to describe it. Uh, yeah, let's hedge it. We look more responsible that way. Uh, yeah, I think I think the best way so, to, to all to all police chiefs everywhere listening. We uh, treated this very seriously. We had no fun at all. No fun at all. Um, no fun at all. Not even in the slightest. No, but not it was, it was it no was, dopamine was released. It was challenging though. Oh, oh, yeah, no dopamine at all, right? It was very challenging though because they are literally. And let me see if I can phrase this without. They're teaching you everything that I learned. I've been driving. I've been driving a car since I was 15 years old, and it. everything yes that I learned up to that point uh, about driving forget it okay it, it didn't apply because number one they you have to you have to drive fast which they tell you when you're getting your license to drive the speed limit well now as a police officer if i'm in pursuit or, or trying to respond to a call i have the legal right and the legal duty to drive fast and so that just threw me for a loop um and then not to mention the fact that uh you know you you're expected to make these <laughs> rather difficult turns and uh you know park certain way you couldn't hit the cone don't kill kenny i think the cone's name we, was we can't cuss on this podcast right yeah, try not to yeah <laughs> if, you can, refrain from if you can stand kenny, it <laughs> that's mm. so what ah, yep. what are you thinking this week so Week six. What do you What do you think? What's going through I'm your mind? If I ever see the color orange in a triangular shape ever again, <laughs> you mean you, gonna... you mean you don't yeah, see gonna... you don't see cones on the road now? Just just randomly. I think me and the cones have an understanding at this point. <laughs> oh, if you man. come near me, something bad is going to happen to one of us. I, I I tell you what, I do take curves when I'm getting off these ramps because you know. Uh, uh, South Carolina, especially in Columbia, we are just mm -hmm. ramp happy. I was talking to a friend of mine who just moved over from California and how he uh, he was saying how their ramps over there off the highway are just nice, short and sweet. But here you get off of a ramp and it's basically like you're doing a complete U-turn. But I, I've, I've I take those ramps like a champ now, bro. Like I, <laughs> I, I it scares my wife, but, I, you know, I have to reassure her, babe, I'm in control. Right. I. I'm in the academy. I'm at the academy right now in my mind, right? I'm I'm taking this curve and I'm in control. But I I go ahead, go ahead. What were you gonna say? Well, I was I was gonna say the uh, you know it's actually funny for all the talk about Kenny Cone. I I don't think I ever hit Kenny Cone, but I sure did take out a couple of his friends. Yes, yes, yes. I think on but, I think on one of the practice runs, my left rear tire tapped Kenny. It did. It did. Yeah. Well, he deserved it. <laughs> why? Why are you in the road, Kenny? Bag he up. Was asking for it. Bag up, Kenny. Get out of the road. <laughs> I mean, he, he had no business being there in the first place. There, there you go. That's right. You know, dressed in orange like he was. He was asking for it. <laughs> he, uh, so, so when I was going through the course, basically, what I, so the first time I did it, because I had trouble with it uh, at first, mm -hmm. and I think my trouble was that there were so many different instructors telling you to do very specific things very differently mm. and i was paying attention and also we had a we had one guest instructor who was just awful uh who was in charge of our group it was cody was one of them um do you remember cody day yeah yeah i uh, was a group along with um william uh, i forget his last name was, uh one of the the guys that recycled into our class yeah and he was he was actually he was great he was really good mm. he was probably the best out of all of us um and uh and isis uh drayton they were oh, all yeah, in, in yeah, our group. yeah and the guy who was a guest instructor was just he was terrible he was he was very bad mm. so we had to kind of put it together ourselves 
uh, when we were on the actual course uh, running it towards the end. And I don't know whether this is something I should say or not, but when I actually, when I finally got the hang of it, it was by just disregarding all the instructors. Oh, wow. Yeah. Basically is what it was. Yeah. Because they were, they were all trying to pull you in different directions. And then when I, when I realized that all the individual drills that we were doing were actually just part of the course, which was never really said, I said, all right, well, I can, I can practice myself and get comfortable with the way that I want to do it. Yeah. Cause that's, that's really what the driving is about. It's about getting comfortable driving. There reckless. you go. Well, yeah, that's there you go. It. There you go. And you know what? That, and I think that's okay for you to say that too, because you know, when you're out responding to a call, um, you're not going to have your, your teacher there telling you exactly mm -hmm. what to do, whether good or bad, right? You have to make that yeah. decision. And so I, I think what you did there to get through that process is, is, is accurate and on par. You've got to, you know, you, take in the good and, and throw out all the trash. But at the end of the day, you've got to make a decision on how you're going to, in that, in that case, how you're going to pass this course, but then on the street, how are you going to respond to this call? What are you going to do? It's you, you're here. You're the officer yeah. on site. You've got to decide. The first thing is, is you're going to become a, a paying parishioner of the church of uh, shuffle steering. <laughs> yes. And for anybody else who's had to, to be taught through that monstrosity, I think y'all can relate. Yeah. The, the grand church of, of shuffle steering. Uh, do you, do you shuffle steer your, your, your personal vehicle? Be honest. Who's asking? <laughs> Good response. Well, I can tell you, I do. I, I can't drive any other way. I can't. Well, that's good. You're, you're a better man than me. <laughs> I mean, not because I do that yeah. all the time. Yeah. Well, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Week seven, week seven was also, uh, for me, pretty cool too. Um, oh, oh, here, before we move on to week seven, because yeah. um, we didn't address the, the shooting. I oh, yeah, say one yeah, thing. So, yeah. So, you know, um, so your agency, y'all use uh, nine millimeters, right? Yeah. So we used uh, 40, and there was, I think, Steve, the, the guy who went up to, to Dylan, I think he was um, he was also using 40, and I think we were the only ones who may have been, uh, and then the DNR girls were using 40. And then the ISIS, I think, was using 45. Other than that, everyone else was nine mil. So we're going through the exercises, right? And on the last day, it's raining. You remember? Mm, yes. Oh, I remember. So, <laughs> so in um, the very beginning, you remember they make you drop all your mags on the ground for some reason? Yeah, yeah. While you're, while you're clearing them, they insist that you put them on the ground, even though there's like puddles and, <laughs> and all that other shit. I don't, right, 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 right. I'll just, just talk about maintaining your gear, and then they say drop them in the, in right. the wet ground. Right. But what if I just hold them? Drop them on the ground. Uh, okay. So you do that and then you pick them up and they're soaked. <laughs> and so we're going through the course, right? And then you're, I'm at the part where I'm having to do a combat reload. Mm. So I go to pull my mag out of my pouch and it flies out of my hand. Because it's slippery right? and wet. Yeah. yeah. So somehow, like I'm looking, I'm like, oh, shit. Because you only have a couple seconds for that target faces, right? Right, right, right. I grab it between like two of my fingers while it's in, like out of midair. <laughs> slam it in there. <laughs> And I'm like this. That was like, no. This is the most graceful thing I've ever done. Oh man! <laughs> but Jesus Christ! I wish they had a camera on me. But you and did I, it. And I shot. I got one off, and then the second one, the target faced right then, and I dropped the shot. And I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Oh, it's like I did man. all of that. And I dropped the shot anyway. Oh man! And then uh, the only the only other one I dropped uh, was at the very the 25 yards. You remember the first of the 25 yards? You got to go prone. Right. 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 And I actually like the 25-yard shot. A lot of people don't like it, but you have a lot of time. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty easy to get a good shot. So a lot of people, you know, they don't like the distance, but I, I kind of like it. Except where I was standing, there was <laughs> this, like, three or four-inch You went for puddle. a swim. <laughs> Dude, 
So I had my jacket off because it just gets in the way. Right, right. right. So I'm sitting there in my khakis. I've got my undervest on. And I just looked down. And I was like, all right, we just, we're just going to do it. We just, here we go. We're just doing it. And I just flopped down there like the world's most ungraceful belly flop. I look like a baleen whale <laughs> with a pistol in my hand. We're... Flop down over there, splash out. I've watered the grass even more. Oh, my and gosh. my first shot just goes wide left. Wow. I see the dust come up in the, the basement behind it. And I'm like, well. Well, you know, we, we, we were, we were in December too. So, I mean, it was pretty cold then. Oh yeah. You know, oh, yeah. it was, it was, it was, the, it was the, the temperature of the water hitting there. Yeah. It was like, I was trying to like jump in and, and, and hunt like a narwhal and uh, oh, Antarctica my gosh, man, I with a, with a Glock 40. <laughs> so I think the instructor saw me. He just like, he would give me a little like, <laughs> like that's helpful. That's Thanks, helpful. <laughs> All right, week seven. Week seven is all about practical problems and, um, you know, active shooting, building clearing, which I thought was very man. If you've if you've never had to clear a building, and I want to pause for a minute here and just say how important this skill is, especially in this day and age. Because I mean, just this week, as of the recording of this this uh, podcast episode, um, you know there was another shooting at a school in Nashville and the officers responded. Uh, the officers responded quickly and they, they, they took care of business, but we still lost life. Right. And so mm-hmm. this, this, um, but this skill back at the Academy, man, um, is so crucial in today's society. And I just remember when I was going through it, I mean, I'd never done anything like this before. I think the most that I've ever come to, was was uh something like this was probably paintballing right out in the woods with some friends of mine but you know having to respond quickly but getting in that building i mean and and you don't know the scenario just like real life you don't know the scenario you're walking into i think the instructors did an excellent job of of switching up the um the different you know different scenarios there i don't know how many they're running with but they switched them up for each each person in our group so that we can get a get a different response and know how to respond but you know, we walk into this building and my I think in my scenario, the lights were off. There's flashing lights going on. There's music going on. There's a smoke machine all of a sudden now. And you have people running out from all different types of corners. And I can't tell you, man, it was a quick scenario. But in that minute, in that in that quick moment, I was I was nervous, even though we were playing, playing. Right. We didn't have real weapons or anything. I mean, and we weren't playing, but, you know, we didn't have like live ammunition or anything like that. Um, I think we actually had we had some. Um, um, like airsoft, airsoft guns yeah airsoft yeah. but man just being in that situation for me was uh was a bit bit nerve-wracking what about you how how was uh, that week for you so i went uh, so are you discussing the the active shooter or the building the active clearing? the the um okay the, yeah because because the building clearing i think we could have they could have i think there's some things that can be improved with the building clearing yeah so the, active, the active active shooter, shooter yeah, yeah yeah those were uh those were i agree with you 100 percent on that yeah, I think they did an excellent, excellent job putting those together. So for me, I don't think I was nervous, but I was very focused on uh, on the objective. Mm-hmm. So I was, we only had two people who had the uh, lights off in their scenarios. Mm. And uh, I had one and um, the other one was, so it was almost cult-like, uh, but it wasn't. Normally when you go in there, you're looking for a suspect and you've got, you know, bodies around either uh, people playing dead or uh, people calling for help that of course you have to ignore until you find and eliminate the threat. Mm. 
So the other person, their scenario was much more, it was much more quiet than mine was. And the person was at the end of the hall and it was more of a negotiation. Mm. Mine was uh, actually seeking out the, the suspect. So mine was a little bit different because I had seen some of the other ones. And I guess they, I guess they thought I did a good job when we were doing the drills or maybe they just didn't like me. Mm. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So they gave me that one. And uh, I remember having, because there, there were some people that had some really interesting scenarios. Right. Uh, some, some were really funny, um, you know, as an observer watching, because you, because as an observer, you know where the bad, the person playing the, the suspect is, and right, you're watching right. the person. Mm -hmm. So you already know all this stuff. So it's as an observer, it's, it's a little bit different than the person going through it because you're just like, all right, is he going to turn? Is he going to turn? Is he not going to see him? Is he going to walk right past them? You know, right. So, uh, so mine with the lights off, I had to go a little bit slower, and. I remember, I'm not saying that mine was more difficult than anyone else's. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I just played that in my head. And that's not what I meant to say. I remember going in and of course, the person I'm about to reference, you know, very well, mm -hmm. uh, one very unique Anton Graham, <laughs> Graham. <who> is six <laughs> foot, yeah. probably about six foot was 380 pounds. Yeah. Biggest dude you'll ever meet. Yes. And somehow they managed to hide that mother they've hid him in this built in this tiny room i don't know how oh they managed to hide God. the biggest person in the history of the criminal justice academy right in this little room but they did so i'm like going through and i've got the body of the people playing the bodies all over the place and i'm clearing the corner very slowly and as it turns out graham has more patience than most people because he waits until i'm all the way out and i see him Cause I can just see like the glint of his, uh, of his little airsoft pistol oh, in the back corner of this closet. And I just remember going, ah, and then he just lights me up. Oh man. It was, I over. Hit too. it was just, it was a shootout between the two of us. So I think we both would have lost right there. <laughs> well, but, you, you, you know, I, I felt pretty good after mine. I got a compliment from the instructor. Um, and I won't say which one just, you know, just mm -hmm. because, but I did get a compliment from the instructor. Cause you know, again, coming from my background, they all knew, that I was uh, a pharmacist and um, during my scenario of active shooter, I did a move. I made a move. There was a, the, the victim or the, one of the victims, cause there were multiple in my mm -hmm. scenario. One of the victims had been shot and um, was laying in the hallway just outside of where the, the uh, shooter was, the active shooter was. Mm -hmm. And so I did something where I just naturally I reached down before I, uh, crossed the threshold or peered into the threshold um, mm -hmm. of where the active shooter was. I reached down and I grabbed, um, and you know this one very well. This this off the this uh, individual who was a, a social media sensation. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right, he was he was yeah. the victim. So yeah. yeah, so it was I, his wife's birthday the other day. I think. Oh really? Really? Yeah, I so. But anyway, so I. I I reached down and I, and I just kind of, he was, he was like a dead weight. I just reached down and like pulled him out of the threshold and then, you know, made contact with the threat and, and extinguished the threat in the, in the scenario. And the, and the instructor comes up to me and she says, man, that's the, that, you know, you're the most tactical pharmacist I've ever seen, you know, kind of thing. So I, I felt really, felt really good about that, but. Uh, you should, that should be your title, man. I mean, if you ever think about, you know, doing a separate police cop uh, podcast, it's called the taxable pharmacy. The tax, that's good, the, man. Yeah. 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 The taxable pharmacy. There you go. <laughs> that's good. Maybe I'll consider that. But, Anything else? Yeah, they, go ahead. Go they, ahead. Uh, I remember that same instructor. 
uh, when we were uh, doing some exercises and clearing, I, I had this way of kind of leaning into one of the doors that I guess was a little different. She goes, oh, you're doing the Israeli lean. And I went, uh, oh. yeah, that's, that's, that's like the Israeli lean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I knew exactly. I planned it. But apparently she liked that. Uh, she's like, yeah, that's just because if you, if you have to lean in real quick and, and check both sides of a, of, of a doorway and you want to do it real fast, she's like, I like doing that instead of the way that they were teaching us to do it, which it's not mm-hmm, like incompatible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I didn't, I didn't realize I was doing it, but apparently, apparently it's helpful. All right. For sure. For sure. All right. Week eight, week eight. This is the last week. Obviously we graduated. Um, mm-hmm. Reflecting back on the eight weeks we spent at the Academy, how would you sum up the time um, your time there, how would you sum it up? Uh, I think that, so I'm going to be honest. I wasn't the biggest fan of the Academy sure, of how sure. they chose to run things there. Yeah, I think it works very well for certain people, but I, I don't, I, I think if, if it were me, I, I would have, I would have done things a little bit differently. I, I don't think that, they're very encouraging to creative thinking. And, and that's one thing that I would change. Mm-hmm. I, I think that they're very top down and very, uh, they're very locked down. They're very uh, obsessed with the idea of, of, of controlling things. And it doesn't for no real gain. And, and that's just speaking broadly. That's my opinion. However, with that said, you do learn a lot of loose, uh, useful skills while you're there, other than the specifics like legals and those sorts of things. It does help you, with your personal determination yeah, um, and your assertiveness before going there there, you have the question of, can I commit myself long period of time to doing now? I'm not going to compare the Academy to boot camp, right? But I think it's, there's a similar phenomenon there where you can, after you leave, there's a sense of accomplishment and the fact that, look, I went and I did something. It's just the first step of my journey, of course. Right. Right. I did something. I proved that I can put in the time and the effort to, to accomplish something and to get, you know, in our case, a certification, but to, to get some sort of product from my work. Mm-hmm. Like I put my nose to grindstone. Uh, I, I did what I was supposed to do and I came out with something. And that's more of a proof than the piece of paper. I and mean, it sounds cheesy. I'm, I'm sure that most people would say it's like corny or whatever, but it means more knowing that you accomplished that, that you did something than to have that piece of paper that says that you're certified police officer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. What, um, you know, with you being a year out now as an officer, what, what's a thought that you might want to share here in our closing moments together, um, um, that you might want to share with a police officer in training or a police officer uh, or someone considering becoming a police officer, what would be something you'd want to want them to know in terms of, um, this work that we do? Well, something for them to consider. Mm-hmm. One thing, there are several, but there's one thing in particular that I, I said this the other day. I had someone riding with me who we're about to send to the academy. Mm-hmm. And I told her, this job is what you, you get out of this job, what you put into it. Mm-hmm. I know that's true for a lot of professions, but what I mean is it, it's everything, everything that you do, every aspect of being a police officer is a direct result of how much effort, how much time and how much dedication you put in 
to accomplishing your your objectives. So it's everything from um, running traffic. That's how to where you can you can you end up finding something serious in a car where you wouldn't have been running traffic otherwise. Mm-hmm. To making sure that your uniform is put together because your appearance is a big thing. I mean, obviously you're not going to have shiny boots all the time because you work, right. you know, not that kind of stuff, but right. your appearance is, uh, it, it has a lot to do with how people perceive you as a figure of authority in a crisis. Um, the way that you speak to people going out of your way to interact with your members of, of your community while you're around, they can offer you good information. And if something happens when you can build some trust to where they know that you're not against them, that you're on their side, could be researching your your legals, your statutes, so that you know what options you have in a scenario where you may have to charge someone. Mm-hmm. And also very usefully how you can reduce things for people, how you can make things easier on someone that you, you do have to charge them, but you think that there's a way out that that you can try to help them. Mm-hmm. You know, so where the punishment isn't as severe and you can still get your job done. There's What you get out of this job is what you put in all the effort that you put into everything is what determines your effectiveness and also your capabilities. Mm. What's the thought? The, what uh, are some, um, Oh, go ahead. Did you, go ahead. you can, no, no, I mean, you can go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, what's a, what's a thought that, you know, so that's to police officers and prospective police officers. What's a thought that you want to share with citizens, something to consider about, you know, when they're interacting with police officers. <sighs> I would say I'm certain that these things are going to be a little obvious, but I think two things to keep in mind if you're in a scenario where you're interacting with a police officer are that we don't know everything what's going on. When we show up, we've been told something by someone, Mm. and that's the only information we're operating off of. It could be wildly different than what the actual scenario is, and that happens a lot. Now, we we keep that in mind, but it's still limiting. Even, even though we know that we don't know everything, you still show up and you have to be prepared for what you were told, Mm -hmm. which may be more serious or even less serious than what's actually happening. So I would say, even though it it can be difficult depending on what scenario you're in, but when the cop shows up, keep in mind that he's, he or she is perceiving you, he could be perceiving you in a much different manner than you actually are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, there is some level of patience that you have to have as well. Cause it's, it's a two way there, there's two inputs in the scenario. It's yours and theirs. Yeah. And that's how you, that's how you get out of it. So we'll work with us. Uh, right? I would keep, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, would, I would keep in mind there. Like if you were in, if you were in that officer's shoes and you just showed up with half information, what would you think? Right. That's good. Um, and then I would, I would say also that uh, your, your demeanor, this is part of it. Your demeanor is, is a big, it's a big part of it. Even if you did something wrong, I'm not saying that, that you did, but even in the scenario that you did do something wrong, your demeanor can can help a lot with your outcome. Even if it's even if you may be charged or, or whatever, your your demeanor affects the way that officer's decision making is. And it shows a lot about what kind of person you are, because they have to learn not only the scenario around them, but who you are, who they're dealing with as a person. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and, and also, I would say, keep in mind, you, you still have rights when you deal with a police officer, you know, because we uh, we know not all of us are the kind of not right. all of us work this job the same way. Right. Absolutely. 
Now, this, I don't want to say this, you know, encourage any distrust of the police or anything, but you bear in mind that you, you do have rights in every scenario, okay? Even as a suspect, you do have rights in every scenario. And if, you're, if your demeanor is courteous and if you're, if you're not doing anything that is going to escalate the situation, then it's a lot easier to, uh, to protect yourself from that officer. Basically, when, when the officer gets there, and if you do have a legitimate issue with him, your fight is in the courtroom. It, it's not on the scene, because if you fight on the scene, it's just going to make things worse. Hmm. But um, you, you do have rights, and you should keep them in mind. And then also bear in mind that everything that officer does is subject to a legal review. So it, it's not the end-all, be-all while you're standing there. And we do appreciate everybody who, who does help us along and who does interact with us in a positive way, because most of us we do want the best for you. We do want the best for everybody. It's why we get into the job. And if you're a police officer, you need to remember that. Remember why you started doing this. And it, hopefully that was to help people. Yeah. This last portion, Daniel, is um, is a rapid fire. It's something that I, that I do on this podcast. And I want you to respond with the first thing that comes to mind. Um, and then we'll, we'll close it out. But I'm just going to ask you three questions. And um, like I said, just respond as uh, as naturally as you can. So what is mindfulness to you? All right. So some of it is kind of what we said earlier in regards to the job. Mm -hmm. You're playing out scenarios. Yeah. Well, you can do that also in, in real life and things that aren't necessarily work related. I think mindfulness, it, it may sound kind of obvious, but it's the awareness of your surroundings, the awareness of your greater um, surroundings that that is in your life and, and those around you, where you fit into your, your community, to your culture and overall, and I guess the cosmos of things, just it's awareness, I think is, is mindfulness. Yes. What's one way that you practice mindfulness? Well, I think exploring scenarios like we discussed, mm -hmm. but also sometimes I think you have to just, you take a second and you, and you think about what you're sensing because I'm sitting here at the table right now. Right. Mm -hmm. I know I'm sitting here at the table, but I'm not paying attention to what my senses are picking up because I'm, I'm talking to you. Right. If I were to close my eyes and go, all right, I'm sitting in this chair. How does it feel against uh, my skin? How does uh, my arm being propped here on, on, on my knee like this? How, how, what, what am I sensing with that? What am I hearing? I've got my, turtles tank in the background i can hear his i can i can hear him uh swimming back and forth and torpedoing into the water from his little stand outside because he's uncoordinated <laughs> you know I, i'm i'm paying attention to, to what's around me if i'm if i'm doing that gotcha. so i think that that's a big part of it yep and then last question and uh, this is something that a term a phrase that i uh, created it's called reflective energy that stimulates thoughtfulness R-E-S-T. And so the question mm -hmm. is, where do you like to rest? Where do you like to go to produce reflective energy that stimulates thoughtfulness? So we're lucky enough to have a sunroom in here. It's I've got a bunch of plants that I have in there, mostly like vegetables and things like that, but some ornamental plants too. And it's you've got this kind of slouch seat there. It makes it pretty easy. It's very kumbaya. I like it. <laughs> but... Uh, there's that. I'm a video game guy too, though. So there's, you can sit down and just kind of turn off for a little bit in either of those two places. Yeah. 
Well, Daniel, man, listen, I, I said it earlier and I really do, really do appreciate you sitting down with me, talking with me today, going through this, this, uh, this, our experience at the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy. I, um, we didn't get a chance to really talk about your experiences. So hopefully you'd be up to come back and at a later date and talk about some of those things and, um, you know, we'll get that scheduled and stuff. But uh, again, just a, a thousand thanks and to you and a thousand thanks to, um, the folks listening, um, and supporting this podcast. Don't forget to share it. Don't forget to rate it. Don't forget to download it, um, and talk about it and those things. Um, and if you have an idea as a listener for a topic or just want to drop me a line, email me at the mindful D at gmail.com again, Daniel, thank you so much, man. Yeah, no worries. And, um, I just want to say one more thing for yeah. our, our Academy experiences. I just, I think that maybe they could use a, maybe a, bio, a biology portion because I don't know if you remember, but one of our fellow DNR uh, classmates thought that geese were marsupials. So <laughs> no, I did not. I don't know if we got a working biology lesson over there or not, but I did not. Our natural resources, y'all might, uh, <laughs> y'all might want to go into the biology of Australia or something there. <laughs> no, I did not. I did not remember that. Cause so. we didn't, we didn't mention the geese at all, actually, <laughs> but pushups and goose droppings. That's how you become a police officer. Next time. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that next time. How about that? <laughs> yeah. We're gloves. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, man. Thanks everybody. All right. Thank you. I leave you with this. Focus your thoughts on what is true, noble, righteous, pure, lovable, or admirable. On some virtue or on something praiseworthy. Think about these things.